0: Hi, everybody. Welcome back or welcome to another episode of Ship It and Sip It. This week, I'm excited to have a series of interviews with the founders that we are helping in the first cohort of the Paralect uh, Startup Bootcamp. And one of those founders is
1: Sam Collar. Welcome to the show, Sam. How's your Friday? Doing really well, thank you, John. Thanks for asking. Um, we're winning today, so can't complain with that. Fantastic.
0: It's great to see founders winning. Uh, so you're... Startup idea that you've entered into the boot camp with is called PT Fitness. Uh, tell us a little bit about the
1: idea itself. No problem at all. So, PT Fitness Coach is essentially an exclusive community for personal trainers and fitness professionals uh, to grow their business.
0: Right on. And w-
1: where did the inspiration
0: for this product come from?
1: um Just prior to COVID, I'm type 2 diabetic and I just decided just before COVID that I wanted to get some more exercise in. And my form of exercise, that my chosen form of exercise, was going to the gym. So I started going into the gym, realized after about four or five months, realized quite quickly that I was going nowhere at all, uh, just going around in circles. So I employed the use of a personal trainer. Uh, COVID hit and I went back to doing zero again. As COVID then uh, let go, I went back into the gym, picked up what, what i will say where I was, started again, but with a personal trainer, and realized just how far I'm actually getting, um, and was appreciative that not only what I was learning, um, how I was changing, how my mindset was changing, but the, the years on my life, um, you know, the just change everything about what I was doing and how I was doing it in the gym and outside of the gym and have kept me on earth you know locked for many for longer years with my kids so I always been had an entrepreneurial mind um and I wanted to just I was just seeing loads of gaps in the market and I started speaking to the personal trainers of that particular gym and just started noting down in the book of things that they couldn't they weren't getting that the the environment that they were working in wasn't providing for them and one thing led to another I went down a bit of a a rabbit hole and everything just seemed to be popping out to me that what sort of things they didn't have access to and that led me to here right
0: on so I guess I'm very curious about this I've been going to the gym and exercising myself and I haven't used a personal trainer, but it does seem to me, I know quite a few coaches, uh, running coaches, things like that. Um, So I'm very interested in the space. It seems that everybody sort of uses a mishmash of uh, messenger apps to communicate with clients, um, gets paid in cash or Venmo or whatever payment app. Uh, So what is uh, the specific um, solution or pain point that you wanna kind
1: of tackle first? the first thing I wanted to do is is what I noticed within the gym environment and is that the the personal trainers, they may all be friends, but they don't share their top secret. Now, for me in life, I always like to think that if I, for my top secret in life, whatever that might be, if I give that top secret to a hundred people, chances are like, you know, and most entrepreneurs know, you know, VCs would know that, People don't action those that advice. They take it and goes, what well, in in one ear and out the other. So me giving one piece of advice to a hundred people not going to affect my life or my business in any way. But if a hundred people give me their top piece of advice and I implemented even a portion of it, anything I'm doing is going to go through the roof. So the same principle going back to personal trainers, if I'm able to create a community where they can help themselves, they can ask the questions. You might have a particular personal trainer who has a long-standing client, five days a week, um, first thing in the morning, let's say 7 a.m. in the morning. But four out of five Mondays, the guy cancels. And when them cancelling, it's great. The personal still, trainer still gets paid, but they have to wake up early. They have to get into work early. They have to be ready. And then they're sitting around normally twiddling their thumbs. So what could they do about that? Now, I don't have the answer because I'm not a personal trainer. and I haven't come across these problems. Personal trainers around the world will have the answer and how to overcome this. So the idea is to create a safe environment where they can ask each other questions and learn from each other. Um, Like with anything you mentioned about not having a personal trainer before, I take, after having used a personal trainer, I see it as like sending your child to school but with no teachers. Then why have everything there, the books, the computers, the environment to work in? But where they're going to get to the end, get to their exam, it's just going to be all a lot slower. If you've got the right people the experts to help you in any particular industry, you're already winning and you're halfway there. So that was the idea is to create a safe environment where personal trainers who walk out and have their certificate, they've just qualified as a personal trainer, level one, level two, three, four, whatever it might be, walk out of the school, have a certificate in their hand, get into a gym environment, and then rabbit in headlights got no idea what to do because they're not been they don't know how to implement a business strategy into the personal training environment. So the idea was to create a safe space that everyone can grow, whatever stages they're at within their personal training career, can grow and take that further. Interesting. So uh
0: what other solutions have you looked at in this space? And uh why do you think that they don't fit the
1: needs of personal trainers right now? Um, so there are there are some communities online. I personally in business, whenever I look at something, I like it when there's competitors out there. One, it keeps you on your toes, but two, you can see what they're doing and not doing right. Um, I like to look at problems and tend to reverse engineer and find out what why why it's not working for everybody or for the most uh for the majority of people. Um, I don't believe that you can ever create a solution for everybody if you i think if you look down that route and trying to make sure it's correct for absolutely everybody you're making it you're not making it right for um, anybody at all um so there are facebook groups um a lot of demographic don't use facebook i mean most people probably under as a again as a as a majority under the age of probably thirty five to forty don't are not on facebook at all might be on instagram but not there. Um, there are other groups on LinkedIn, but again, LinkedIn, most uh, personal trainers are not on LinkedIn as a percentage. And that's one of the things that I'm going to be trying to help them with because I, uh, I do use LinkedIn a lot, and that's where their, their user persona is uh, for their clients. Um, and that they were using, and the other thing that they tend to have experts, if you like, uh, in inverted commas, mentors, are personal trainers are then paying thousands of pounds to find out the information from one particular person and if you're going to find it out from one person it's always going to be through rose tinted glasses and through one perspective so my idea was create an environment where they can you where they can uh, communicate and network with each other globally and nowadays that is you know, having a community environment and making them feel it's a safe space for them just to let go and ask what they believe might be the silliest question but chances are they're thinking that question. There's thousands and thousands of other personal trainers who have exactly the same problem.
0: Right on. And according to what you've shared so far just this week on Twitter, um, you've been going out and talking with uh, PTs directly, probably also at the gym that you go to. So uh, have you gotten any feedback so far on the idea? And what was that like?
1: That was good. I mean, it's always, um, I'm always one to not try and sell, sell the features, go with the benefits and just trying to find out what sort of problems that they're actually encountering. Personal trainers generally are individuals they're you know, not normally coming in as a group from any particular, as a company. So everyone has different uh, perspective. You know, if I'm speaking to a 20 year old personal trainer, they've got, they've got totally different problems to a 42 year old personal trainer. Uh, The older generation generally might not be using uh, social media as much to gain a new audience. And the younger generation may be using social media but don't know how to gain a new audience. So they all came in totally different problems. Um, You mentioned one way about being paid. Some people are paid in cash. Some people are paid in uh, PayPal. I've had one personal trainer reach out and said, I'd like to start accepting Bitcoin. Um, I've had other personal trainers say when new clients come on board uh, i sign them up by whatsapp and there's no terms and conditions there uh, other personal trainers say how do i keep um my clients motivated so there's a whole breadth of problems um speaking to them face-to-face that it's always difficult quite expensive to be walking into gyms every day uh, different gyms and the other problem i've had with doing this is personal trainers as a rule well as i so i found anyway We'd normally have clients back to back, so starting out at seven in the morning, going right through to lunch. Um, they don't have that twenty-minute, half-hour, one-hour window, um, and if they're normally training themselves, that they're hungry, so they want to eat at that time. They don't want to be talking to me. So, you okay. know, I've had problems in finding walking around and just seeing and speaking to trainers. Um, and like anything, when you've got a two-minute window it's really hard to find out what their problems are because their first instinct is you're selling to me. Right. So, um, but I've had some joy with it. Um, but yeah, we still carry on. I don't mind uh, knocking on doors.
0: That's great to hear. So you've mentioned a few times that you've always had an entrepreneurial spirit. So, uh, where do you think that came from? Have you always wanted to be sort of
1: a startup founder? Yes uh, I believe so without realizing it so my father uh, had his own he was working a nine-to-five and he had his own business as well when I first went to university at the age of 19 um, I went in to study law and marketing and um, sorry the first time I went to first university was economics apologies and um, at the age of 19 at university I started a business there Um, I then uh, after two years, my parents, I was living away at the first university. My parents pulled me back home and said, look, you're just wasting time and money here. <laughs> so stay at home and go. So went to into a second university, started a second business there. Um, and they went from there, pulled out of that university. And since then, I've always been working for myself.
0: Right on. Uh, a part of the main, the core tenets of the startup bootcamp that we have is building in public with your ideas. So, uh, what was your impression of that idea?
1: Uh, did that always excite you, or how did you feel about it? Building in public, um, I've never been one with a camera. I feel like I've got a face for radio rather than TV. So building in public is quite difficult, um, and my family will attest to that point. I'm just generally not in any photographs at all, so was the rest of the family. And behind it good behind the camera, not in front of it. So that was a challenging point. However, I tend to find that I thrive with my backs against the wall. So I come out fighting like that. So if that's what it takes and the position I've been put in, I've got no problem in, you know, sink or swim for me with anything I do. So I I like to win, like to, uh, so swimming's the way I go forward. So building in public has been difficult, but it does also keep you accountable. You know, if you know you have to be doing certain things and you're out there, you know, if I'm, Posting daily on Twitter, for example, I started uh, labelling my tweet day one, day two, day three, day four. I can't cheat that. you know. Tw- I can't ask Twitter to change their um, timestamps on the tweets. They are what they are. I'm posting whenever I'm able to post. Right. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Uh, and just like fitness, I guess, consistency is rewarded in this game as well. So uh, when I think about fitness and training, this uh, group can be quite uh, tr- quite tribal. Uh, they're, they're the CrossFit people. There are, I don't know, there are many different groups of, of trainers. So how do you think you're going to sort of break into this, uh, each one? Are you targeting one group first or what's your plan there?
1: Um, so targeting face-to-face trainers first say in a gym setting, um, and then, uh, online trainers with, um, in terms of Uh, like you said, CrossFit trainers or strength trainers with uh, resistance training, Um, still very similar problems they had because they all want to grow their business and they all deal with clients. So the type of training they do doesn't really matter to me too much. It's a matter of how do they get over the hurdle of more clients, newer clients, a longer tenure for the clients that they're working with. So what I want to do is, as everyone knows, um, the adoption of technology has just gone through the roof since covid so, the idea of a face to face trainer using um, having online clients, having then clients globally. So, if a, a client, a personal trainer in any particular town, if you think about their um, the captive audience, is probably within five mile radius. You're probably not going to find people traveling too far because everyone's busy nowadays and traveling in can take a long time. Uh, and no one has time anymore. So, the idea is to help the face to face trainers with their problems. And then from there, show them the benefits of actually using their time more, not more wisely, but using their time in a different way to actually um, look at online training and helping people globally. Instead of having a captive audience of five miles, they've got a captive audience of anyone online. Um, so just showing them the benefits there. I'm speaking to some trainers uh, who deal with online clients and face to face. They have maybe, they've got hundreds of customers and clients globally. Whereas a face-to-face client may have, you know, literally a handful maybe. So the idea is to start small, start in a niche, uh, face-to-face trainers, um, wherever they are in their um, career, whether they just started, whether they're a veteran of the the industry, and then um, eventually move in and then try and get to the next stage of online clients and bring them all in.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm most familiar with sort of endurance sports like running and cycling. And in that space, because of the GPS watches and the easy trackability of the activity, uh, people sort of scale their coaching or their training up globally quite easily because everybody's running and you get the same files no matter if you ran next door, or if you ran halfway around the world from each workout. Uh, but with gym going, it seems a bit that face-to-face is much more important in that setting.
1: Yeah, I mean, what, what you'll find is online uh, trainers nowadays are good ones. Um, what they'll do is that with your onboarding form, they'll not only ask you what you're doing um, on a daily basis, and, you know, in terms of what type of work you do, whether you're sitting down, standing, how many steps you're doing, an idea of what you're eating. But then also ask you what type of equipment, again, this is in a gym environment, what type of equipment you're using and what do you have available to you? It could be stuff you've got at home. It could be the actual machines that are in the gym. And the good one will be tailoring their program based on what you have available. And um, that's the online side. Obviously, the face-to-face becomes a lot easier because they're helping their clients with the equipment that they've got around them.
0: Yeah all right well i will save a few questions for our next interview uh we plan to have at least one probably two follow-up interviews with you sam so uh it's been great to hear about your idea
1: uh any reflections from the first week of the boot camp really liked it i mean everyone at powerlake has just been amazing they've left, left a door open for us to knock on um virtually uh, but you know left the door open for us to knock on if we've got any questions again didn't seem how silly the questions are I'm not sure how many silly questions I've posted but you know they've left the door open for us to um, ask anything and the idea is that the impression I've got is that they're really here to help us grow um, as a founder and as a company I uh, understand only one of them one of us would be uh, lucky enough to have an MVP built um, and I'm working towards being that company but um, either or I know that over the next 30 days of the month long program I will have grown so I know that um, I'm getting huge benefit from being part of this cohort
0: awesome well that's great to hear we'll be sure to put links to your landing page and your social profiles in the description of this show and share it with the rest of our community when this goes live so thank you so much Uh, I hope you have a lovely Friday evening and a lovely weekend Sam see you next time thank you for your time John bye-bye Hi, everybody. Welcome to a special interview with James Hutchinson. He's the founder of Lingoers, and he's also part of the first cohort of the Paralect Startup Bootcamp, which is just wrapping up its first week. James, how are you doing today? Not bad, thanks. How are you? Yeah, Very well, very well. Uh, we just released an interview with Chris Fernandez, who is one of the organizers of the bootcamp. So, I'm excited now to get a chance to talk to all of the founders and find out more about their idea, what inspired it, and what they hope to get out of the boot camp. So, for Lingars, can you just start us off with a simple uh,
2: description of the idea? Yeah, no worries. So, an elevator pitch, basically. So, um, yeah, I suppose it stemmed from when I had um, an issue when I returned back to the UK. I lived in uh, Valencia. Um, in spain for my erasmus year and since returning back i found it's really hard to practice a language when you're not living in the country so lingo is is basically a social language app that connects native speakers via video calls and um, and yeah it's essentially a social media app but um it would work differently to the rest of the language apps available
0: right so there are quite a few apps for learning languages out there i'm sure you have you used some? Are there aspects of uh, certain ones that you like or ideas that you might sort of pull from them?
2: Yeah, so I've used pretty much all of the ones that I've, I've Googled, basically, like HelloTalk, Italki, Duolingo, Memorize, all of them. Some of them are like exercises with words and phrases, like Duolingo, for example. It's good for the absolute basics, like I have an apple in Italian. I, I covered that when trying to learn Italian. But I haven't found myself saying to someone, I have an Apple. It's not really that needed. So although they're really good for the basics, I think that having conversations like, hi, I'm James, I live here, this is what I do for a living, that's much better. And I found that it's more conversational. And a lot of apps that exist already are text-based chatting. And when you're on holder or when you're out and about, you don't type to people, you speak, you obviously speak and use your voice. And you hear, try and listen to what people are saying. And those apps don't really teach you that. So, because um, I've tried and tried again. And whenever I've been on a holiday in Spain, someone says something to me. And I'm like, I'm not used to this. I'm used to seeing it written down and thinking about it. And then replying, maybe cheating using people to translate. But, um, but yeah, so I think it doesn't focus on the basics of language learning, which is having conversations in real time.
0: Yeah, uh, that kind of mirrors my experience as well i've been living in countries that don't speak english for a lot of my adult yeah. life and um yeah i just you know i memorized this is my guitar or this is a, a motor um uh, but those are things that i don't ever need in day-to-day life <laughs> <laughs> so uh were there any other inspirations for the product and you mentioned the sort of going to be social sort of like a type of social media so uh, what's your vision
2: for that yeah it's funny because i had the idea i think because i came back from spain in 2014 after my erasmus year of nine months i went there knowing nothing like one to ten and gracias in spanish and i was like and then by the end of it i was i was okay at Spanish. i could have a conversation but then i um myself and a friend initially had a go at making the idea and I bumped into uh, Stephen Bartlett, um, who you might know um, from Social Chain. And I went to one of his talks at Manchester Met University um, in about 2017. And I said to him, oh, I have this idea for a website where you can learn languages. And he said to me, why not, why not use an app, a mobile app? And I was like, okay. And it seems very simple, but um, a lot of what he does has inspired me. So he's an inspiration, I would say. Um but yeah, hope that that answers your question. If I'm I'm not waffling up. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. Um, so, have you always wanted to be a startup founder? Let's give a little bit of your background real quick. Uh, you know, a lot of people have ideas for, oh, I could make this app, I could make this product. Um, but has has it always been something for you where you you thought, oh, I'm gonna be a founder someday?
2: I think for me, it's not a case of being a founder. It's a case of I have, I only try and solve problems that I've experienced myself because I think that I'd be the perfect fit. And if it's good for me, maybe other people will want it as well. So um, I've never, I've had ideas in the past, um, one to do with music, um, because the music industry is hard to get noticed unless you're you know. But then this one is something, because my girlfriend is Italian and her family lives in, in Italy. She lives near me. Um, but her family's in Italy. And I went over to Italy to visit her family and just sat around the table listening to her mum and her family talk in Italian. And I was like, wow. And I could sort of guess what they were talking about because they use their hands and gestures and it's much easier. And I was like, if only I was living here, it'd be so much easier. But I had to return to the UK, unfortunately, um, due to, you know, work and everything. Um, but yeah, so I think um, I originally wanted to be a, a commercial pilot when I was younger. So I went to university, did aircraft engineering. So it's completely unrelated. But as part of that, I had a, um, a year abroad. So my Rasmus year, I, I didn't expect it. I ticked Spain on the form that you had. And so happened that myself and a, a course mate went over to Spain. And um, it's a place called Castellón de la Plana. And went to university there to study engineering and sat in the first lecture. It was all in Spanish. I was like, what the hell is going on? I have no idea what's being said. And then the teacher was like, oh, uh, engineers, She's like, do you understand? And I was like, no. And she she tried explaining it again in Spanish, thinking I understood Spanish, but not the answer. So I was like, no, soy inglés, lo siento. So I was like, no, I'm English. I'm sorry. And she's like, OK, so she left me alone. But um that inspired me to think, right, I could really make use of this nine months living in Spain. And I took Spanish lessons. And I, I went on nights out. Had a few drinks, that, and I think that that's a good way of. Le- I'm not promoting alcohol, but I think for socialising, it is a good way of learning um, and another language. And I want to, I want to sort of replicate that um, for me, and hopefully for others as well. So you don't have to live in Spain, you don't have to quit your job, sell your house, and go to another country. So that that's my my goal really. So um, I didn't think of myself as a founder. I just think of myself as someone trying to solve a problem. And if it so happens to be solved by the use of the startup, then so be it.
0: Right on. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so far, could, I guess, could you share a bit about the progress with the idea so far? Obviously, the startup bootcamp is for very early stage uh, ideas and founders like yourself. Uh, but have you bounced the idea off other people? Have you gotten any feedback uh,
2: from other language learners that have
0: sort of confirmed that they have the same problem?
2: Yeah. So a few years ago, the first time I tried to do this, solve this problem, I had messages on Facebook saying, cause I used to post a lot on Facebook groups and I still do now saying, look, join this, this is the idea. And a lot of people have been saying, oh yeah, I really like this idea because it's really hard for you to learn. And a lot of people considering the amount of language apps that are available to, to use, a lot of people are still struggling. So I think there is a slight disconnect between language apps and actually being fluent in something. So, um, so yeah, I'm, uh, in terms of progress so far, I've been, um, I'm going my user panel so far using the landing page provided by the bootcamp, which I have to say is amazing, it's so easy, and it integrates to social media as well, which I really like. Um, but yeah, I've had qualitative feedback, so uh, thoughts and feelings from people who I know, from uh, my girlfriend, from uh, international friends that I have as well, that I went to um, an international university, I went to Salford University. And I still have friends I'm in touch with now, so Spanish, Romanian, Italian. Um, so, yeah, I've had good uh, feedback from them saying, yeah, I like the idea and they've been signing up. So hopefully they're going to be the people who I speak to in my user panel for the um, early stage uh, feedback.
0: Great. Yeah, that, that sounds uh, like a great start. Let's see. One of the core tenets of the... Um the boot camp that we're doing with the founders is to build in public. And you've already mentioned the landing page, uh, the Momentum uh, product that Eager has shared with you guys. It's also its own very early startup, but as you said, it works very well with social media. Uh, but one of the main tenets is to build in public as a founder. So my question is, I guess, two-part. Uh, what do you think about this approach and second how do you think it will help you sort of refine the idea for lingoers
2: yeah so i think a lot of people sort of think oh i don't want to share my idea because other people can steal it but having tried and attempted different styles myself it's really hard it's not a case of stealing like a pint of milk from someone a weird analogy i know but and it, it takes a lot of effort grit determination and time and i think Even if I post, like, I am posting about the idea on a regular basis and I've not seen the problem being solved so far. I suppose if someone else did come up with a solution, then I wouldn't have to build a startup around it. I'm only building it because it doesn't exist. So I think that um, in the olden days, like, before the internet was a big thing, software companies had to develop in the dark and had to spend, like, a year developing something because there's no way of doing it otherwise. But nowadays, I think that um, you've got so much competition... Uh, you have to build an exact thing for the user. And if you don't know exactly who the user is or what their pain points are, I think it's very difficult because you're guessing a lot and you've got a lot of assumptions that might be wrong. I might think that this is a solution, but based on speaking with people, building in public, they might say, oh, no, I think this is this. Like, there's a better way of doing it. So I think feedback from users, even before you've even built anything, which is the case with lingoers, like nothing exists yet for lingoers. But part of the excitement is sharing my journey, asking people for feedback along the way and changing pivoting according to where the market is.
0: Yeah, well, I look forward to following your journey along that path. Uh, in terms of language learning apps, one thing that uh, at least Duolingo does really well is sort of it kind of bugs you. It kind of has this um, stickiness to the app with a yeah. little owl that gives you updates and kind of harasses you to, to keep studying. Um, are there any sort of, uh, I guess it's a viral loop that you, you're thinking about to keep people engaged uh, when Lingoers launches? Because you know consistent practice is very important, not only for startup building, but also for uh,
2: learning languages. So how, do you have any ideas around that? Yeah, very good point. So there's a book, I think it's by Nir Eyal called Hooked and basically it involves trigger, action, variable reward and investment. And that's taken from a lot of startups that made it from Silicon Valley where basically I can see it. If you think about Instagram, you get an notification, that's a trigger. Actually, you just click it, variable reward. You don't know what you're going to see on your news feed. You have to refresh it. it's like a, um, a slot machine in a casino really, isn't it? And then the investment is... I might get a message from a friend. If I delete Instagram, I'm out of the loop. And obviously you've got all your photos and everything on it. So yeah, so I'm I'm using those principles as much as possible to help build uh lingo with this. But in terms of consistency, that I think is one of the main uh, blockers for why it's hard to learn a language. So I have a few ideas of what I'm going to do with that. Um, just concepts in my head at the moment. I'm, it might be different, but um, in terms of regularity, uh, every Monday or every Wednesday, at a certain time, different groups where, so you've got a, a friendship group in a in a certain um, in a certain session and that session is 6 p.m. At, on every Monday or every Wednesday or something and it's a regularity because that's how I learned, um, that, well, that's how I, I was learning Spanish in Spain by going to a regular language lesson. So if I can replicate that, I also have not- notifications, ability to add friends or people you get on with within the app. Uh, there's so many different things which you can uh, incorporate from that hooked model into uh, into software. So yeah,
0: yeah. It seems like it's um, it's really good timing on this. I, At least from my perspective, I know a lot of people here uh, who are teaching English. I used to teach English here as well, uh, and and sort of since the pandemic, that sort of language that business model kind of fell apart a bit because they couldn't do in in person classes safely anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had to, those that weren't very technically savvy, had to quickly learn, or those that were very technically savvy, quickly pivoted to online lessons with people. So I think maybe there is a a pretty large group of people that's already sort of ready uh, for some sort of product or social group or app like
2: Lingoers to sort of give them that platform. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the pandemic was hard for everyone. And especially when you wanted to I think the motivation to learn a language wasn't there because you couldn't travel a lot of the yeah. time i've heard like in language lessons that i've done especially trying to learn italian i'm I'm really basic at that at the moment but i, I asked people why why do you want to learn italian and people oh they, they sort of said oh we're going to going to rome this summer for a two-week holiday and I well that's their goal and then, then so be it but during the pandemic people couldn't travel so they didn't have that so it's a lot um a lot more difficult i think however you could still practice on the app. Just you have to have a big enough reason why you want to start and what you want to do it for, I think. But, um, but I think the timing now is, is good because like the pandemic's pretty much but it's the endemic, isn't it, really? It's never going to be over, but you can travel again now. So um, I personally, since visiting my um, girlfriend's family in Italy, in Imperia, quite north of Italy, I, um, since sort of not understanding what they were saying and wanting to understand it, I was like, right, as soon as I get home, i'm going to start taking italian lessons and i've been using uh preply which i have to pay pay for on an hourly basis it's like a it's like a school but more more relaxed because it's just every teacher you know um, it could just be a normal native speaker teaching so you can it's more fun but i still think um that's not quite the solution that's part of it but it's not the full solution i think there's something missing and that's what i'm trying to figure out so yeah Awesome. Well, this has been an enlightening
0: conversation and I look forward to following up and finding out what you figure out as the bootcamp goes along. So till next time, we plan to have uh, probably one or at least two more uh, interviews with each founder from the bootcamp. So I look forward to catching up with you in a couple of weeks, James, and seeing the progress that you make with Lingoers. Thank you so much for your time. It's been great chatting. Thanks hi everybody welcome to another interview with the founders that are going through parallax first batch of the boot camp i'm here today with chris and joe from mine hi guys how are you doing
3: are you all good thanks for having us yeah really good Good to meet you as well john thanks for thanks for having us today
0: yeah well uh, i'm really excited about the idea of mine, and we'll get into why in a little bit. But to start off with, can one of you just give me a a one-line sort of elevator pitch to the idea?
3: Yeah, so the idea of mine is basically it's a platform uh, where we aim to make property investing more accessible um, by allowing users to kind of cool their money and buy a single property. Um, And we'll typically kind of focus on short-term rental properties.
0: Okay, and... um, what was the inspiration for the idea, and the second part of that question is uh, why is it a good time and in, in now in twenty twenty three to to build it? Christian, want to take the first part of that question? Yeah, um,
3: yeah, sure. So, so yeah, the kind of idea came from so a while ago. I was um, I had a flat. We were in the process of selling our flat, and we couldn't. Well, we. It sold and then it fell through and then kind of COVID happened. Um, so for one reason or another, we decided to keep it. We were able to move to a house we were buying, um, but we had this flat kind of sitting there and we couldn't get rid of it at the time. So that's when we kind of looked into Airbnb as a potential option for us. Um, so we put it on on there and it was kind of one of those things where we didn't really expect it to go anywhere. We were like, you know, we live in like kind of quite a little town just outside of Cardiff, so this, you know. And I was, grew up here, so it was kind of like, I don't think anyone would want to stay here, but I'll give it a go. And to our surprise, yeah, it was uh, we were booked flat out after putting it on. And um, so then we kind of went through the process of kept doing it, uh, trying to improve our ratings and make it a better experience for people by kind of, you know, being better hosts. Um, and it was a really cool process. I really enjoyed it, I got a lot from it. Um, and it actually was quite profitable um because there's less wear and tear on the property like normal um normal rentals uh people don't come to an airbnb to stay in the apartment the whole time typically they kind of want to go out and explore the area um and also they pay a lot more for a weekend away than they typically would a nightly rate for their the place that they live in kind of thing um so it was really it was amazing opportunity um and it's something we had to sell the flat unfortunately um but then I've realized from that experience that it's quite difficult to, it's a great investment, but it's very difficult to kind of get into that. Unless you have the upfront capital um, and the time to manage the property, it's it's difficult. And this is where then the idea came from, that there's a bit of a gap here um, that potentially we could fill. Joe, do you want to
4: take the second part? Yeah, yeah, why now? So yeah, I guess the why now, always quite a hard question to answer but one of the kind of main factors and trends we've kind of seen shifting is the rise in the number of retail investors. And so if you look at the kind of data from the last 10 years about the kind of total number of equities traded, um, so 10 years ago in 2011, it was about 11%, but now um, retail investors make up about 25% of the total number of um, stocks and shares traders. Um, really, I think it kind of just goes down to show that the everyday person is becoming more financially literate and looking to effectively invest their money in, in different options. Obviously, stocks and shares being, being one of those. Cryptocurrencies and commodities being, being others. Um, but really, the access and the ability to invest in property has a really high barrier to entry you know a deposit alone could be in the thousands of pounds um so that's kind of why i think now is the right time to look at building mine and and democratizing the access to investing in new in properties and obviously starting in the uk all
0: right that makes a lot of sense i guess since this is the first uh co-founding team that we have that i've interviewed so far and in- in these interviews. Uh, how did you guys meet? Can you can you share a little bit of background and how did you decide to sort of work together on mine? Yeah, sure. So uh, it's quite a good story actually, I think. So
3: um, I kind of had this idea, no real experience of the startup industry, my, my background background's in design. Um, so I was kind of all that for kind of creating some mockups and that kind of thing. But then it was like, okay, where do I go with this now? Um So, I actually came across another accelerator program um last year and applied and the first person I spoke to actually was was Joe <laughs> and so kind of went on to that program um unfortunately that didn 't uh, go anywhere uh, to do with the timing um but then a few months after that kind of we kept in touch and originally it was kind of Joe was helping me out giving me advice and uh being a the sounding board. Um, and then, yeah, a few months ago we kind of decided to team up on this
4: worked with chris on the on this idea for a number of months. So always been that kind of sounding board um kind of providing more general advice but it, it was always one that I enjoyed the most and found the most interesting and' c- you could kind of see myself working on it potentially in the future, and it kind of just happened that all uh everything kind of aligns at the perfect time. And then Chris and I just kind of decided to formally move forward with this. And then hence we came on the Parallel bootcamp.
0: All right. Uh, speaking of the bootcamp, I guess, how, how do you think that it will help you to push the idea forward? Are there any specific things that you're hoping to learn in the process or get out of the program itself?
4: Yeah, yes. I think it's lots of things that we really do want to get out of this, um, but really is to validate the foundations of the idea and actually prove that the, you know, we we feel the problem and a number of other people that we've spoken to feel the problem about the ability to invest in property is difficult. It's got a really high barrier to entry. We want to start testing some different solutions and some different concepts with with the people that we started speaking to, to to really prove that this idea has legs and can and can go further and I,
3: I think one of the other important things is to kind of build that that list because it's it's kind of a bit of a, a chicken and egg problem with our with our product is we need uh, people and investors to ideally go out and purchase the first property so but then before we have the first property it's people might <laughs> be less kind of willing to invest before that. So it's it's about kind of building these relationships early on, building a list of people that when we're ready to and we're in a, a good place, then we can kind of take their investment and then uh make a purchase with it.
0: Yeah, it's a really interesting space. And and I guess I'm curious, uh, if you guys have any ideas around this, like Ooh. This seems like something that would make sense for airbnb to to create within their own platform uh or or to to create in-house and sort of add in as a feature so uh in that vein are there are there any other uh existing solutions that you've looked at on the market like i
4: guess maybe it makes sense for airbnb to put a feature like this in but you know they've got such a strong value proposition themselves in just taking the commissions from the rentals that there's almost no need to to venture down the ownership route. And so I think that's probably the main reason why Airbnb haven't ventured down down this route. In terms of uh, other ways of investing, you know, people can own timeshares, for example, and timeshares are great if you want to have access to the property. The kind of main feature, the main benefit of um mine is not the access to the property, but it's the rental income and the and the growth in the equity. The growth in equity that you would see over the course of a number of years in that property as well. So timeshares are great that you get access to the property, but you don't get the rental income. Whereas mine will allow people to get the rental income. So it's more of a financial product than something that you would use to holiday in or take a vacation or something. And
3: and there are other other platforms that do a similar thing so that you can invest in like a, a normal residential apartment block, for example, and you'll get rental income from that. Um, but like from kind of our experience and uh, having an Airbnb before, you know, you don't make as much. People tend to pay more for their, their short-term rentals than they do their their rent on a per nightly basis um so it's just kind of a bit of an untapped um uh, yeah asset that's kind of a lot more profitable and obviously it's on yeah. online location it's not every airbnb is going to be the same and that's where our expertise as well of you know making sure we're investing in the right places um that will be profitable locations that's where they'll come to add value to the end user as well
0: yeah it's a really interesting market and it's a, it's sort of Seems to change a lot. Um, you know, Airbnb used to be very popular. Now it's sort of getting a bit of flack, kind of from all sides. Uh, people are saying that the fees are so high. You know, that the fees that they add on. Uh, neighborhoods are saying, you know, this is negatively impacting sort of the the community we have here, just because everything is is turned into short term rentals, that's driving up rental prices, sort of across communities. Um, ha- What trends do you see there and and how do you think that mine can sort of navigate this? Although it's kind of a touchy subject in terms of community and housing. Mm. Yeah, well, I guess,
4: you know, Airbnb is maybe taking a bit of the the flack, but we're not necessarily only going to be putting these properties on Airbnb. You know, it's about the kind of short-term rental market rather than, Airbnb's market of course they own a big share of that market so of course it would be used but the great thing about Airbnb is that it allows investment into areas which generally wouldn't see tourism you know if you've got family in a certain area there's not always a big hotel nearby but there quite often is an Airbnb nearby so it can really boost the kind of tourism and industry of areas that haven't seen it particularly as much as much in the past where hotels may have put themselves um so i guess with everything there's positives and negatives so it's kind of weighing up to that act and look
3: i also think just to add to that i think we're going to see a trend in there's going to be a lot more people coming onto the platform and putting their own properties on there i mean we're in a cost of living crisis now people are looking for other ways to make um, income and this means that you know your spare bedroom that you're not using anymore could actually be a source for for income for you so i i do think we're going to see a trend of more people go to the platform maybe single um single rooms rather than entire properties but i think that will kind of yeah that will i can't see it going anywhere anytime soon put it that way
0: Yeah, it's an interesting space for sure. Uh, And and my wife and I used to be super hosts uh, when we lived in Arizona. We lived uh, in Flagstaff, which is quite close to the Grand Canyon. Uh, So we did a similar thing. We just took, this was back in early days before it was super popular. Uh, Took some crappy cell phone pictures, immediately got booked and basically were booked straight through uh, for a couple of years. It was quite fun. Fun and challenging at the same time, but um, it's an interesting experience for sure. All right, uh, let's get back to the boot camp though. Um, one of our core tenets in the program is to have founders build their traction and build out their idea in public. Uh, how do you guys think about that approach? And did it excite you? Did it make you nervous? How do you feel? Personally, you know, it's exciting. We'
4: coming on to an accelerator program i've I've delivered numerous accelerator programs in the past before I've never been on no, I've never been on the receiving end of that so to you know, my first time coming out into one of these accelerators as a, a customer shall we say it's really exciting and you know I've learned a lot about how I've delivered them in the past um compared to how I'm receiving it now so yeah it's great and the the building in public part yeah there's always an element of nervousness when you're going live with your your idea that you've kind of been sat on mulling over in your own head for so long you know I think it's brilliant but by by going public it really allows you to get open and honest feedback from people that you wouldn't necessarily get that feedback from so so while it definitely has its challenges, I think it's you know really really worth it and it can massively benefit uh, you as a startup founder. Yeah,
3: definitely. And I I also think the uh, kind of building in public pieces is, is kind of a bit of accountability that you need to kind of stick with any kind of project. I think that's kind of where I was struggling when it was just me and I had an idea kind of thing. Um, whereas for so them working with Joe, it was that kind of accountability to another person that I, I needed. Seeing them with the boot camp now, you have an accountability to others. And then when you kind of go public with it and you start telling people about it, you kind of don't want it to just be (laughs) one thing I posted once. And then everyone's like, Oh yeah, here he goes again. Uh, (laughs) It's got to be something that you can't, I got to, you know, walk the walk. No.
0: All right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I guess just to wrap up, I'd like to, uh, share the page that you guys made on momentum or at least a part of it, uh, and get a little bit of feedback on that. And, um, sort of show people what they can expect so here i've I've just scrolled down to the benefits of mine and you've got browse invest and earn there uh what was your experience like uh, just making this simple landing page and yeah what do you think of momentum
3: yeah i think it's uh it's a really great product it's kind of something I've been looking for before this is just something where you can kind of put the information in the, the kind of formats in place. You haven't got to, you know, be guessing about what should be in what area. Um, I, it was super easy to kind of use Um, really impressed with it.
0: Awesome. All right. Well, uh, people can check that out. Uh, I'll, I'll drop the link to the page itself in, in the show notes. So uh, that's all the questions I have for today. I look forward to talking with uh, both of you guys later during the program. Uh, We plan to do like two more interviews. So good luck in the second week of the bootcamp and I'll be in touch.
3: Cheers. Thanks, John. John.
0: Thank you. Hi everybody, welcome back. I have another very exciting founder interview for you today. I'm here with Andrew from City Guide, and we're going to talk about his idea for an app or a product that's going to make traveling easier in the cities that we all love to visit. Andrew, how are you today?
5: Hi John, nice to meet you. I'm perfect today, ready for new challenges and a nice conversation with you. All right, you have just joined
0: the first batch of the Parallax Startup Bootcamp and you're late addition, but we're glad to have you in the first cohort. Can you tell us just briefly about the idea for your product?
5: Sure, in a few words, it's a, a marketplace uh, for uh, city trails from a local people. Uh, because it's a problem for me and uh, for my friends and also for some people with whom I had the interview uh, to find out what to do in new cities uh, and don't spend a lot of time to googling. So I decided to make this app to make it more easy more fun and without stress and also I know about that uh, the um, city tourist people spend in one city uh, around three days uh, so uh, they can keep their time uh, to explore new places
0: for sure, three days I would say is is the minimum for any very interesting city that you've never been to before at least Uh, you mentioned there that it's going to be built around trails, uh, so it's not just about sort of monuments or the best restaurants. What, what do you mean by that? And will it be sort of like uh, guided tours that people can access?
5: Ah, that's what I mean, that it will be uh, trails. Uh, and in this, uh, in this trails, there will be uh, a monument and some secret place. Um, maybe some restaurants, some view places, uh, Depend uh, what uh, the local uh, guy or girl <laughs> uh, want to show uh, to uh, tourists. Very cool. His program.
0: Okay. And you said that you've interviewed some people already and you yourself are a traveler. So uh, what kind of feedback have you gotten from those early conversations?
5: Uh, the one feedback what I get from everyone is that they spend a lot of time uh, to searching uh, where to go to explore a new city yes, they uh, say about, they use uh, TripAdvisor, Google, a lot of apps and service uh, but it's Uh, that problem is staying because okay they uh, know about these places uh, but they don't know uh, from what to start, where to end where to go, they just have a mess of some locations and that's all so this gets them bad
0: yeah it can be quite overwhelming that's what we were talking about before we started recording, I've had this, this experience as well uh, and you mentioned TripAdvisor and Google. Um, so, uh, what other solutions are there already in place, and why do you think that they don't quite fit what travelers need today?
5: Uh, for example, I think the most uh, like, the most close it's uh, TripAdvisor. But in TripAdvisor people sell uh, themselves like a git. So they meet some people and go with there, show them everything around etc. But uh, for example, I don't like this uh, type of walking. Uh, I like explore by myself, and I want to go there, or, or want to rest, or I don't want uh, to stop now. Uh, I want to be more flexible. So uh, I hear also from one interview that uh, uh, they think same when they go to some new city. They want to be more flexible. Uh, another competitor uh, is uh, locals. Uh, but with uh, very similar uh, to the uh, guide local for the city guide, it's the same. They meet the local people, they uh, go with them, they uh, explore new place, but it's not they're not flexible. So this uh, local people, uh, same like uh, city guide. Uh, they have some trail and they uh, have some uh, time limits uh, so it's not, not everyone likes this
0: Right. okay and how do you think the boot camp program will help you move your idea forward
5: mm, I think for at first it's uh develop uh me like a founder, <laughs> so after this i uh, can move my idea faster uh, because it's a new challenge for me to build in public it's a really nice uh idea to make uh, all this by this way uh so Yes, developing myself to build in Publix. And uh, second, uh, it's uh, to get some uh, mails to a wait list. And uh, it's like a lead because I have some interview, um, but I uh, catch these people uh, not in this place where people searching for a digital City guide, yeah, it's uh, travelers uh, forums or groups. Mm, but uh, if someone uh, will get to the my uh, wait list, uh, so I can really talk with the people who need digital city guide.
0: Awesome, and we'll we'll uh, show your, your landing page in just a little bit. But first, I want to talk about. The inspiration for the idea for City Scout. So, you've traveled quite a bit, and I want to understand how your own travel experience has sort of informed or inspired this idea.
5: For example, last time I was in uh, Limassol, Cyprus, uh, and yes, I was searching for a place where to go. Uh, around one hour and uh, after this I make this uh, points on the map to go there and I remember at once I staying uh, at the one of this point and thinking wow maybe there is something interesting but it uh, was not on my map but I go there and really, I meet there the the great, the greatest uh, view, uh, what give me the best emotion on this trip. So I just I don't know about this place. Uh, there is no any information in Google about this place, uh, but I found this place, and this give me the best emotion uh, on my trip.
0: That's really interesting. I do feel like there is an element or there's a part of traveling that uh, is just luck. You know, sometimes not everything is on the internet uh, for people to uncover and find. Um, And you mentioned that with City Scout, you want locals to sort of curate the experiences of the trails that are on the platform. Um, Do you think that everyone will want to do that? Uh, Do you think that there will be some locals who say, oh, not all the foreigners should know about this really cool place over here? Is that uh, one fear of yours?
5: Mm, I don't know. I don't need a lot of locals. I think a few is more than enough. Or maybe if a lot of people uh, want to... to give uh, the experience uh, of traveling in their places to another people. Yes, it's good, uh, but, but I'm sure that there uh, will be uh, some people who will love to do that and also they will get a commission uh, from their work. This is like a motivation. The first uh, uh, motivation is to uh, share some amazing places uh, in their cities, and another, yeah, it's money. Cool. So you've added that uh,
0: monetization model will be a platform where the 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 creators also get rewarded for this.
5: Yeah, sure. And actually, uh, they need to build a nice nice trips. So get a nice uh, review for the Strip, write, write a nice information, information about the Strip to catch uh, their customers if we Great. talk about monetization.
0: Awesome. Well, it sounds like a really good idea. Uh, let's take a quick look at the page you've made. Just a second. All right, so just the benefits that you've listed on City Scout, make emotions instead of hustle and bustle. So uh, is there anything that you wanna add to this or do you want to share any impressions of the uh, Momentum website creator?
5: Uh, add, uh maybe i will add will add something after more interviews uh, but <clears throat> the most important idea of my app is uh to do a new adventure more easy so i just want to remove all uh, time loss and stress everything what should what can uh, give you some bad emotions. And about uh, momentum, yeah, it's a really cool thing. I don't know what will be with my page after uh, this bootcamp uh, will finish, Um, but I want to uh, move forward forward with uh, this page and work on it, work on this project. It's very easy. (laughs) It's really very easy uh, I don't know what to add. Let's see let's see.
0: awesome. All right, and you've also mentioned before that that uh you'd like to improve as a founder by building in public, which is one of the core things in the boot camp um why is that I guess? What do you hope to get out of that experience?
5: Most important for me it's to get a new experience to build in public because I'm really scared to do this. <laughs> uh, so I need to fight this. I need to fight this and only awesome. after that I will uh break some of my uh, demons what hold me uh, to talk more about my startups uh, get some ideas get some early adopters uh, so I should to fight this demon
0: right I guess uh, my only advice would be to to Not think about sharing everything with the whole wide world, but what you're sharing as a founder is a conversation with the travelers that you want to use CityScout. So uh, speak with um, your network and make your posts with those people in mind, like you're just talking to another traveler and you're trying to share your experience as a traveler with them.
5: Yeah, nice idea uh,
0: that's all the questions I have for today Andrew, uh, is there anything else you'd like to share about CityScout or your experience in the bootcamp so far
5: mm, about City Scales, uh you can follow me and I will say uh, more uh, there in my uh, feeds and about bootcamp I'm really happy that I came here because uh, for this moment, building public is the biggest challenge for me.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, we've got your back. Uh, so. We'll help you as much as we can to, to bring City Scout to the masses. I will put the links to your, your site and your other social links in the description of this interview and of course we'll share it with you and the rest of our network as well so thank you so much for taking this uh, first step and and having the interview with me and uh, we'll catch up with you at the end of the boot camp and hopefully you'll be you know a happy public founder by then. Hi, everyone. Welcome to our fifth and final founder interview from the Parallax Startup Bootcamp Batch One. I'm here with Brooke LeBlanc from uh, Point5, which is a startup we're gonna talk about right now. So, Brooke, how are you today?
6: I'm great, how are you?
0: Fantastic. Uh, can you give us a one-line description of Point5? What is the idea all about?
6: Yeah, Point5 is better health for the sober and sober curious.
0: Okay. And I really, I read through your description on the the bootcamp website, and I have so many questions. So uh, what does BetterHelp look like? Are you thinking of an app, a community, a product? There's a lot of growth in in the sober space right now.
6: Yes. um, We've seen it grow over 200% since I incorporated the company last summer. Uh, which is pretty shocking. And uh, that's only gonna continue over the next 10 years. So I'm excited to be building in the space. This will be an app. So we're building an iOS mobile app um, and it's also a a membership platform. So you'll subscribe to be a part of the community. um, You'll have access to other people who are using sobriety as a means Mm -hmm. to an end to achieve their health goals. So Mm -hmm. you'll join a cohort. So for example, if you're training for a half marathon, you'll join a cohort of other folks who are also like-minded um, and quitting or cutting back drinking in order to do so.
0: Yeah, uh, that's really interesting. And especially for me, because uh, I'm really into running, but also I'm part of a running club that is created by a craft beer brand. So their their thing is you go to a monthly run and you get a free craft beer afterwards. So I'm kind of in two camps where I want to be healthy, but I also still like beer. Uh, so, uh, but there are a lot better, uh, non-alcoholic beers on the market now. So that's still an option. Um, uh, so, uh, what inspired, uh, BetterHelp and Point 0.5 from your experience?
6: Yeah. So what inspired it? Um, I've been working in tech for the past several years. So I've worked for early stage companies, both, uh, seed stage and series A. So I've seen, um, what it looks like to really grow a team from the ground up and, Um, When you're in a sales function at a smaller organization, you work directly with product. Um, So every single conversation you have with the customer gets recorded, you send clips, either competitor intel or just feedback you can go relay to the product team and you send it internally. So that was a really exciting time to use that professional experience to contribute to becoming a founder now. Um, However, on a personal note, I am over two and a half years sober Um, So I really decided to blend my personal experience of being a consumer of non-alcoholic beverages, um, someone who's been just a fan of the space, and I really have helped support over 10 of my friends get sober. Actually, one of my friends yesterday had her one-year mark, which was amazing, and we're celebrating tonight um, at a sober karaoke night in New York City. So it's really cool. It feels like this underground movement right now. There's a lot of energy towards it, a lot of companies starting to get built, Um, And I really am excited to create a tech product where I can scale my efforts of someone who is on a mission to help improve people's lives through sobriety. Um, And yeah, it's just it's been a really amazing time to turn something that was really hard for me to get clean in the start. Um, I felt like I had a little support around me, but that was of my own making because it was COVID 2020 New York City when I got sober um, so we were in lockdown. All, all my friends moved away. My family lives in another state in the United States. So I really want to create a product that's going to be your accountability buddy and your partner and your support system as you um, get sober.
0: That's a really cool story, and kudos for going through that it, it, during the time that you did. That that's a lot of willpower, uh, and it says a lot about you. Um, I wanted, to, I guess, since you have this experience in tech and and. Now, in sobriety, I wanted to get your opinion on this because it seems like there's a pretty strong dichotomy uh so there's sort of like the conferences and the parties in San Francisco or wherever where obviously there's an after party there's usually good booze uh or at least some booze, a lot of booze and then on the other hand, there's sort of the i don't know health conscious uh biohacking side of tech. Uh, culture that's focused on being as healthy as we can, living as long as possible, eating very regimented, healthy diets. So uh, what's your take on this? Obviously, you're happy that the the healthy side is growing, but um, I'd love to get your opinion on this.
6: Yes, you hit the nail on the head. Um, (laughs) It does feel like we're one foot in, one foot out to a new world, um, a world in which folks uh, really care a lot about their health. Um, They're aware of the consequences. So I know personally uh, before I got sober, I was probably about eight years of a drinker. And a lot of the language that we throw around is that we'll either have a hangover the next day and that's a consequence or our liver is going to be hurting. And that's such an abstract concept because you don't see your liver, you don't feel your liver unless something's actually wrong. And that's usually something that um, there's a cognitive dissonance from the point of when you're 20 years old and you open a beer and have a drink to when you have a liver issue and you might be in your 40s or 50s a little bit more mature in your life. So uh, I feel like there's there's this quake of folks jumping from the party scene to more of the biohacking scene because of this new science that's coming out. Um, the amount of folks who have come to me about Andrew Huberman's podcast is pretty shocking in, in the best way possible because he... He took two hours to break down um, in a very scientific way non-biased as much as possible just what is healthy for your body and what are the true effects of drinking and this is science that i wish i had you know eight years ago ten years ago when i first started drinking um, and to to your point um in the tech space specifically there's a meme going around that um there's the tech broification of sobriety so it's now become a trend um, to be an early adopter of sobriety as if it's a new thing. And listen, I'm all for it because it pushes things in the direction that I want it to push in, which is more awareness over what we're doing to our bodies. Um, I recently had two kombuchas with a friend and woke up hungover the next day. I was tired, groggy, and I had to, I ran to the cafe to grab a breakfast burrito and couldn't realize that I, well, I was nauseous. And then I tracked it back to the kombucha. So it's really shocking when. You eliminate all these things from your diet and your lifestyle. Then you go back in some degree because kombucha is 0.5 ABV, hence the name of my company. Um, So it's really fascinating to see what we do to our bodies and why. Um, And one more point um, with the Andrew Huberman podcast, actually, uh, Mark Andreessen, one of the more powerful, well-known figures in our space, tweeted last week that he had gone sober and it was because of the Andrew Huberman podcast. And he's toying with the idea. So that's a trend that I'm seeing a lot. A lot of people aren't even adopting the word sober um, because it feels very binary. Like you do everything or you do nothing. And it's very daunting as a young person because I hopefully have another 70 strong years left in my life. And how am I going to commit to something now to say, oh, for the next 70 years, I'm not going to drink. Like that feels very heavy. And so a lot of folks are just saying they're not drinking. Um, And that's what uh Mark Andreessen explained. He said he had drank, you know, the majority of his life. He loves whiskey. He's not happy about this decision, but he just feels good. So he's just gonna go forward with it. And that's a huge trend that I'm seeing too. And all of that contributes to hopefully the early customers that we'll have on our platform because they're early adopters. They're already tapped in. I'm currently wearing a whoop and an aura ring on our call right now. So I'm I'm a part of that group. So I'm trying to be as unbiased as possible in my answer. But it's really, it's an interesting phenomenon and it's something that um, makes me really proud to see and I just get a good laugh every time I see a meme.
0: <laughs> right. there's a, There's been a lot of talk about it and uh, I'm curious, I guess, what you talked about the the growth in the space over the last few years and you're going to be a part of that. And so what other solutions are on the market, I guess, There's a lot of NA drinks, there's Liquid Death, which is just water in a can, which is a ridiculously successful company uh, in the US market and maybe in others, I'm not sure. But uh, in terms of apps and software platforms or community-based platforms, are there other ones that you're looking at as competitors, as inspiration, anything like that?
6: Yes, so there are a few. Um, one of the most successful platforms is in farthest along in its fundraising journey, and therefore largest in terms of user base, is called Monument. And they help the recovery side of the market. Um, so they connect folks with uh, therapists and outpatient care, p- potential rehab facilities, and uh, medication. If you have a physical dependency to alcohol as a substance, um, they're, to my knowledge, Series B, backed by Lerer Hippo and other really amazing venture firms. Um, they might have raised again now, but that's that's to my knowledge. Um, and so they're they're wildly successful in proving out the use case in this market, which is there's a real demand um, for a solution that will just help people and support them on their journey. Um, the differenti- differentiation point between Monument and point 0.5 is that we focus more on the lifestyle side of going sober, um, not as much the recovery side. Uh, however, I have spoken to dozens of folks um, who've reached out and deeply resonate with their story and understand the need for a solution in that space. Um, so Monument is a great tool to do that if you're seeking um, help on that side of the space. And they also recently acquired a company called Tempest, which is um, a women's recovery platform. So that founder, I recently listened to a podcast of hers. She's a, she's a huge inspiration Just, as a human being and as um, an exited founder in the space and someone who's an early adopter. So really anyone who was early on this trend, who's been really digesting um, what sobriety looks like, what does that mean for the next, not one generation, cause I'm the eldest Gen Z you'll find out there on the market, but what does it look like for Gen Alpha and all the coming generations? And what, what happens, is alcohol similar to cigarettes? Is it gonna evolve? It's something, it's a substance that's been around for thousands of years in other parts of the world. What is the history of drinking? What is the future of drinking? Um, so I really love to socialize with folks who are on the forefront of um, this movement in the beverage space, in the tech space, and everything in between. Um, another uh, mind that I really have enjoyed like going back and forth with someone who I think is very smart in the space. Um, her name is Jen Bachelor, and she's the beverage founder of Ken Euphorics. Um, she is. R- whip smart and very forward thinking on this space. Um, and I really, really admire some of the work she does. She will she has a brain imaging lab um, separate from their beverage and this is just internal where they can measure in your brain um, the effects of drinking, which is really the organ that gets most impacted. So it's not really our liver. It's not really our um, <laughs> you know our hangover, like oh we have a headache, that's an effect of affecting our brain health. Um, So I think what they're doing is really smart. There's a lot of smart people. Um, I could ramble off, but those are just a few that come to mind.
0: Right on. Well, yeah, it sounds like you have a really comprehensive understanding of the market and what you want to add to it. So I'm curious now, uh, how do you think the boot camp will help you move the idea forward?
6: Yeah, well, I mean, in day one, uh, your team whipped up Victoria. She's amazing. She whipped up a landing page um, because I told her that right now we're in stealth and we don't have a landing page out right now. So we're that early, um, but we're also far along in the sense of being pretty well networked, um, working on getting our funding pretty soon, which is exciting and building on our team. Um, So really the missing pieces are just conveying this vision and putting, bringing it to life. Um, So I really, I'm excited to keep moving forward in the bootcamp. Um, and just recruiting more people to our mission, getting more email signups, because um, we can always accept people on the waitlist and be starting user interviews for research. Um, so it's never too early to get out there and speak to our potential end customer, um, especially to inform us as we start to build the product once we've closed our round.
0: Awesome. Well, that is all the questions I have for today. Uh, we'll be back to do hopefully another interview at the end uh, of the bootcamp to find out how the point 0.5 has moved along and what's next uh, for you as you move along your founder journey. So thank you so much for, for opening your experience and your idea to us at Parallact and the wider world.
6: Of course. thank you for having me.